Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of the NCAST from NContracts. I'm Guy Weissmannel, back with y'all for our next great episode. I put a y'all in there since uh, we're taping this from Nashville. I do want to say thank you uh, to everyone who's been downloading and listening thus far. We love your feedback. We really appreciate you tuning in, and it's been great to get notes from folks who are really finding value listening to some of these experts that we're bringing on. So we're having a ton of fun with the NCAST so far, and we're just getting started. So hopefully um, this episode is going to meet your expectations as well. Today, we're looking forward to getting into a topic around the world of business continuity planning. And as we get ready to end 2020, you know, I can't think of a time where having a plan in your bank or credit union uh, around keeping your business going uh, in the midst of COVID and every other craziness that we're going through has ever been more important than it is today. So in today's podcast, our own Michael Carpenter, CARP like we love to call him, actually around the office. CARP Talks BCP, the details of what it takes to set up and maintain a program uh, around business continuity uh, and the pitfalls of not having a plan in place. And he does this with Ronnie Emanuelakis. Uh, Ronnie's from Sunrise Banks in the Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul area. And he's the manager of data operations and business continuity management for Sunrise. So you are getting hands-on expertise to share uh, with your team and to get smarter and get some tips today. So. Harp and Ronnie, take it away. Ronnie, I, I can't believe uh, 2020 coming to an end, but what a what a year to be a risk practitioner with a focus on uh, BCM, right? Business recovery with all of the stuff going on, right? Yeah, it's been a wild ride to say the least, I guess. <laughs> Well, that's why it's really appropriate that, that we have you here. And thanks for taking the time, Ronnie, um, to, to spend with us. You know, I, I've got a couple of questions uh, put together, but I, I'm sure we'll have some other questions that kind of come from your responses. But uh, very first, you know, of course, we all can know so much looking at your LinkedIn profile, which I, I did again today, right? I did it after I met you first a long time ago, and I did it again today. And, and you've been working in, in, in the field of, you know, project management, identification, you know, best efforts and recovery. But from, from, from what, what tells what LinkedIn can't tell us in your profile, how did you get into business continuity management, business continuity recovery or BCP? Well, I, I don't, uh, so I'm originally from Sweden and we have a saying in Sweden that sometimes when you step on a, on a, peel of banana, you just slide into something else. And, and that's kind of what happened really here. You know, we had a change uh, change of management in, in our organization as it pertains to the BCM program, or as it was called back in the days, the BCP program. And um, essentially I was asked to step into the role and, um, you know, it's a role that requires a lot of attention to detail. And, and I believe that was uh, one of the driving forces behind giving me the, the reins of our program. And I should, should add that I, I kind of already had some knowledge about BCP at Sunrise Banks um, from my tenure as a third-party risk manager. Because in that role, I w- it was kind of natural that I was part of the BCP committee because, you know, of the vendor aspect of business continuity. So I had been uh, at the BCP committee for about three, three and a half year, years before I took over this program. So it was in many ways a kind of a natural fit. But by no ways was I prepared for it, especially not uh, a pandemic a month later. So because I took over this program in January of, of uh, this year. So, yeah. You, know, you learn sometimes the best when you go in through forged by fire almost, right? I oh, mean, yeah. Really learn so much. It was never a question of, ah, should I really do this? 
go in and have fun, I guess. <laughs> that's that's a good way to put it, Ronnie. So, you know, attention to detail, that's kind of like who you are. That That's really what you brought. And like you said, that the vendor management side of things, such a strong overlap. Um, yeah. And you definitely have to make sure that they're prepared. So, you know, take that understanding to yourself. But with all that understanding, what would still be the hardest part of the job that you've identified so far in this forged by fire time period? Uh, I'll, say, I'll say two things. The first one would be that, you know, you have to track everything uh, that's going on in the bank, every single business function, every interdependency, and how they relate to each other and how they relate to the IT side of things and how does the IT work. And so it's, 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 it's not enough just to, to inventory everything. We also need to analyze um, the business and IT functions along with all their interdependencies. And, um, but you also need to kind of track the, uh, the changes that could impact these functions over time. So, so we recently completed our BIA, which was a massive effort, but that's a point in time. That's how the, the organization looks right now. And, um, you know, as I've been doing kind of my research, you know, in the industry, it constantly strikes me that people update their stuff <laughs> once a year. And I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that, that idea. I think we need to be on our BCP plans. We need to be on our BIA. We need to be on everything constantly, maybe even on a monthly basis, you know, um, because changes will happen. And, and some changes are minute. Some changes we don't necessarily care of. Others are, are quite big. For instance, if you have a, um, if you have an IT supporting function in-house or on-premise, and then one once in the blue moon, you just decide, you know what, we're going to go uh, cloud. So then you move from on-premise to cloud. Well, that's going to yeah. affect your entire BIA. So right. there's a lot of those things that you kind of need to understand and be on top of. And I think that's a very challenging uh, task indeed. Um, the other piece I would say is, is, um, is designing an effective testing program and, and kind of getting the buy-in from the participants. And in this case, the participants I'm thinking of are all the business lines, IT, and everybody who doesn't work in BCP essentially, you know, to get their buy-in, uh, it's going to be a challenge in itself because it's not their daily bread and butter. They, they do other things. They're hired to do, do things that is not BCP related at all, but it is. And sometimes they don't know that. And it's my job to tell them that, you know what, in order for you to do what you love doing, which you're really good at doing, you need to help me do my job, you know? So that actually so, is the other question I had, Ronnie, just real quickly. Oh. It seems like you just, I mean, you might have answered my other question and we're going to go back to this, but what do you like most about the job? You smiled, you lit up when you talked <laughs> about yes. getting people to understand what they're already doing to address this thing that they thought like, I don't even do that. I don't even like that. So yeah. if you want to expand on that. Yeah, my answer to your question will be all of the above, really. Uh, <laughs> I I live for challenges. Uh, whenever I'm challenged, I, I like you said, I, I light up, I, I thrive. Um, it's uh, When something gets difficult, that's when it gets fun. Uh, because in my mind, you know, it gives me a lot of uh, opportunity to, to correct things, to do things differently, and to solve the problem, you know. Uh, I love building things. Um, so managing a BCM or BCP program, I always go back and forth on, on those that terminology, BCP, BCM. But 
managing a program like that uh, requires a lot of building. Um, you have a lot of moving pieces that you kind of need to kind of put together and build a program around, build a program that is sustainable, uh, that is scalable, that can follow the growth of the organization. Um, and our organization is growing really fast. When I started at the bank five years ago, we were an eight, nine hundred million dollar bank in terms of assets. Now we're one point three, one point four million billion. So it's almost double the, the organization since I started. So you kind of have to have a program that is like um, that, that that can scale with the organization. And I love doing all that stuff. And I also love the contact, uh, the, the, the contrast, I should say, between the uh, business side and IT. In this role, it's 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 imperative that that you can speak and understand both business and IT because it's it's very difficult to have a BCM program without without a true disaster recovery program to kind of support it. We have that in many ways separated in our organization. Uh, so disaster recovery is, is managed and handled by the IT, but that needs to. I mean, those two programs are so intertwined. So so it doesn't matter that IT manages it. I still need to understand it in detail in order to to kind of do my role justice. So yeah, I think because that, yeah. I mean, I was going to say I mean, you're you're feeding information to IT for their their better, like their enablement, even prioritization, right? What comes up yeah. first? Well, you did a lot of work to identify what that is. Yes. And they're going to benefit from that. Yeah. But it goes the other way around too. And this was something I, I realized, uh, which I should have seen, but I just didn't because I was so focused on building my stuff and then sending it over to IT. But it goes the other way around too. So for instance, we have a function at our bank that is very, very important. It has about 65% of our critical business functions rely on this IT function, right? And that IT function went down a few weeks ago. And so we had this kind of recovery, you know, team that was working on it. And I realized that they don't know what is happening on the business side right now. And so a BIA typically is you take, you start with your business, you analyze what they want, and then you go to IT and say, hey, can you deliver on this? That's really what it, is, what it is. But that goes the other way around too. Like, okay, we just lost Navigator, which is a function of ours. How does that impact the business plan? We need to, the IT need to know that as well. Not just what the business plan wants, but right. are we losing a bunch of functions in on the business side right now? And they need to know that up front so that they can kind of work towards uh, a more... Uh, it's almost... Prioritized it's almost independent. Of- it's almost like you've built in, there's an like independence there. That yeah. you know, I'm going to give you information, but I'm going to give you I'm going to give you additional information that supports the legitimacy of what I'm yeah. telling you. And then, um, and it, it's like that also then makes it easier, probably in your budget process, when you talk about resources and you talk about like single point of failure and big time. Like I got one asset that isn't doing so much. Like you know, do we do we spend the in, like the insurance to have this, the secondary or? Can we get this up yeah. and running, right? Yeah, it's a lot back and forth. I think the budget thing is kind of interesting because it's uh, it's one of those things that what comes first, chicken or the egg, right? <laughs> in order in order to get the the full executive buy-in that you need in order to kind of make uh, you know uh, monetary investments, if you want, to the budget. It 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 at least for our from our in our organization and from my perspective, I need to get executive group to truly understand how how important this is right and many of them already do but it's, it's a cultural thing it, it's it's has has we have have we had a, a 
a BCP culture in the organization or not? That's what I think most people should ask themselves. Do we have that? Historically, we didn't necessarily have that, but we're working on that right now. And I think it's very important to kind of create that awareness throughout the organization. It's almost like creating a culture. And once you get to that point where the whole organization has a, like a, like a, unified buy-in on the need for a DCM program. What does it do and why why does it help somebody in, you know, in deposit services or, or loan operations? Like, why do they have to care about that? Once you get to that point, I think it makes it much easier to, to understand the need for investment and all those things. So it's kind of like you have to prove that you're important before you become important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that, that was actually one of my questions about... Um, Board and management support, and and how did you get it? And it looks like, I mean, just real quickly, not to just to kind of regurgitate what what I'm hearing here is that you got to make it about them, right? Making them understand like how it's valuable to them at a business unit level. Um, and so I'm gonna I definitely want to get some more information on that, but I'm gonna add another layer to that question, Ronnie, if sure. I may. The business continuity changed in November 2019, right? No, nobody knew that we were gonna have major problems and throw something else into the mix in, in 2019, but it almost does seem appropriate that in the business continuity management talks about changing what used to be siloed and separate, more of an island process into, as you think about what needs to be recovered, you have to be aligning it to your strategy, right? So yeah. can you expound and kind of mix together, how do you get board management buy-in and support and and when it, as it comes to BCM to identify what's critical and what's not, when everything is supposed to help strategy, how do you do that? How do how do you talk to the person that what you do isn't as important, right? I mean, well, COVID did its own, you know. I mean, everybody knows what happened, and so it kind of, it kind of speaks for itself, right? Uh, board members know as, as much as we know about the impact of COVID, right? So, so right there, you have a Sad to say, a good start because of COVID. Yep. yep. Right. The needs there. Okay. Yeah. So it, it really COVID put put the need, you know, on, on the map, so to speak. Right. But you need to do a lot more and realize that how do you support critical functions, or, or, or how do you how do you make the critical functions support your your strategy? And that connection seems logical, but it, if you don't make it, it's not there. Because people don't walk around, you know, in the organization doing, you know, minding their own business thinking, ah, you know what? This is important because it supports a strategic initiative. They do it because they need to do it. You know, it, it, it doesn't take long before you kind of get your little, you know, your tunnel vision. You're in your own world and you do things, right? So you need somebody to kind of have that 10,000 foot view and realize that, you know, these things are important for the bank. Because if what we realize really early is that when we talk to the business lines and we ask them, is this a critical function? Without really having defined that, they said, yeah, it's critical. It's critical to them. And and they're not wrong. It is critical to them, but that doesn't necessarily make it critical to the bank. So what we then did is we created a definition that was our bank critical definition. And so that definition is very simple. It's um, if a function in any way impede our ability to store, lend, or move money and or communicate internally, externally, or with regulators. That 
that is what defines whether something is considered bank critical or not. And so we apply revenue that and communication. Yeah. What's that? I said highest re revenue generators and your ability to communicate. Right, exactly. And so because if, if any of those pieces are impeded or we just we stop doing it, we're not really a bank anymore. And and you know, so 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 it was important that we capture that really well. And I think we did do that. Um, obviously, we can always change the definition as we, as the organization matures, but, but for now it works. And so that's how we defined what is bank critical. And that's how we tie a function to what we consider to be our, our kind of overhanging strategic objectives, which is really being a bank. You know, you can have more specified strategic goals and, 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 and that's fine, but all that becomes you know, moot if you're not a bank anymore, if you can't move, store, lend money. So that's, that's, right. that's, that's what we went by. Uh, and that's how we tie it to kind of um, the, the overall goal of, of being a bank. But then the other piece too, that was uh, very interesting is that when I started my BIA, I realized I don't know what I don't know. Right. And what I mean with that is I really need to see the whole bank. Like I need to have everything, every single business function, every single interdependency and all that. I need to have that before I can then take this and drive it down to this and focus my efforts on this, right? Right. And um, so, so that was, like I said, initially a Herculean effort because we had to really inventory the entire bank. So I just give you, to give you a couple of fun numbers here. So uh, in our BIA, we identified 134 business slash IT functions. Out of those 134, 63, bank, 63 functions were bank critical, 21 published BCP plans, and we, uh, we identified 30 critical BCP vendors. And those are vendors that support any of our critical functions. So they inherently become a critical BCP uh, vendor. And we identified 18 gaps between business side and IT. So meaning business wants something faster than what IT slash third parties can, uh, can yeah live. you did the gap analysis there yep um, exactly. and 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 then you went right back to that framework that you built to help yep. you know flesh it out and be consistent with it and that really yeah. takes my next question if you don't mind talking about about training and testing right because yeah. it's very clear you have a very strong grasp and and all the moving parts you already talked about getting buy-in from management but then we also have people involved Right, we've got the framework, and we got the buy-in, and we've got the resources, but then people have to make it work, right? And so, <clears throat> testing and training again takes away from their day job. What is, can you can you talk about? What does your training look like throughout the year? Any frequencies? Any best practices? What you've seen work, and maybe even share what what you thought would work initially and not. It's a lot. It's a loaded question. I can unpack it for you as if you want to take one piece of it. It's frequency. Yeah. It's what worked well, what didn't, and, and, and really, it's how did you find time in any of it? So we're very much in our infant stage when it comes to this, because um, historically, we've had a, an annual training that's been, you know, on our internet, everybody had to take, and that's it. I realized that because I was, before, in, before I was in this role, I was one of the ones who took the training. And then when somebody asked me four months later, hey, uh, tell me some DCP stuff. <laughs> I, I don't know, right? And I was still on the BCP committee, so I could speak to it a little bit. But if you ask somebody, you know, in a whole different department, they, they wouldn't really be able to speak to it. And so I realized that, you know, 
this is not necessarily going to be enough. You know, one, once a year training, you're not going to retain much of that. And then you're just going to go through the motions and then that, that's really it. Yeah. Um, so, so like I said, that's really what we were last year. So for this year, um, we had to focus a lot of our efforts on, on building the program and clearing an MRA that we had, that we, that we got right when I started from our regulators. So a lot of focus has been on that, not so much on the training, but we, what we did is we, we created a, a, a second training. So we separated the general employee population from our leadership. So we have one training that is specific to our employees and then one training that is specific to our leadership. And so the difference between those training is that the, the one for our general employees, our general employee population, I would say, that one is, is geared towards more emergency procedures. So if something happens, you go over here, you know, uh, lock your door, you know, things like that, or close your door. Um, if you have an office, you know, don't take anything, just get out. Things like that that are more like, you know, protecting the, the employees, right? While the leader one is more geared towards uh, BCP and BCM concepts, understanding the program. And, and why that is, why we did it that way is because the leaders are the ones that we interview for our BIA. So it's important that they understand what we're talking about when we have those interviews. So we, we, we kind of started to kind of uh, create that awareness, as I talked about earlier, through our training modules. Now, again, it's annual, so it's not going to be well-retained, not at least to my own standards. So what I'm doing right now is I'm building out a, what I call the awareness and um, awareness and, and testing program. So I'm actually taking testing and training and I'll bring it in under one umbrella, under one program, because I realized that, you know, if I go to a business line and I say, hey, we're going to test your, um, we're going to test your BCP plan here um, tomorrow. You're going to learn. <laughs> Are you ready? So, what? No, even if I give them a week, they're going to go, okay, so how do we do that? Well, I need yeah. to train you on that, right? Right. So, You're going to learn. So exactly. Training and testing, they really go hand in hand. And, and so I brought them in under one umbrella with designing a whole program that is going to involve incident response training and testing, uh, disaster recovery testing, and some extent training. We're going to have, uh, we have something called, uh, um, I'm just, I just drew a blank here. Uh, safety captains. So safety captains is something that we've used for years. Essentially, they have a whistle and they have a yellow vest and then they run drills, right? Like, oh, we have a tornado drill. So they just jump out of their seats and start whistling and everybody goes like, oh, what's going on? Now we have a test or a, what we call it uh, a readiness exercise. Essentially, Those are important. But what we're doing is we're actually taking the, the safety captain concept and we're expanding on it. Uh, we're, we're, we haven't landed on the details yet, but one thing I'm considering is maybe give them some CPR training. So okay. they're more, more than just a safety captain. They're actually safety uh, or the more, more like, a, like a response unit in a way, right? Yeah. In and the military, so, we had combat lifesavers. They weren't medics, but they right, were exactly. in the squads that they could perform medical attention if yes. necessary. Yes. That's the same approach we're, we're taking here. And, and for that, you're going to need some training. And you're going to need some, some, some testing or readiness exercising, as I call it, for those, for those, uh, those people. So I think uh, we have a lot of cool things coming in, in un, under that umbrella. And uh, I just think it's, it's, it's going to be important that we, we take it to the next level. And that is going to be 
uh, in many ways, how we kind of raise the awareness, how we can create that long-term culture of, of ECM throughout the organization. Yeah, I tell you, you, um, I could, I could see. I mean, it's your grasp on everything um, is so clear. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's consistency, and it takes somebody that uh, is up to a challenge. You know, I, I wrote some things down. You know, um, now when I think about you and I and I see you, I know that you love to create things, and uh, you're always up for a challenge. I'd love to have a conversation about what it is you do on your personal time. We won't have time today. We're actually out of time. I, I could talk to, to you forever, but but you're up for a challenge, and that's what you need. It sounds like. And you like and, and you like working with people because you have to do it right in, yeah. in your role. You know we are out of time, and uh, I really appreciate everything. I appreciate you being part of the In Contracts family. You know it's yeah. uh, it's great it's being fun. able to to work with you and talk to you. But um, thank you again, Ronnie, for for everything. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. It's been fun. Okay, team. That wraps up another episode of the Encast. If you like what you heard, we would really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review and let us know. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you're looking for more resources on business continuity planning, we've got an entire resource center set up for you today right on endcontracts.com that you can check out. And it's got tons of things from uh, more webinars to articles to checklists to downloads and things that you can be using in your bank, credit union, and mortgage institution today to get uh, your business ready if disaster should strike. And given this year, there's a good chance it might again soon. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you next week.